Is there anything you would have done differently? We reported a true story. Our colleague Brian Williams is back in Kuwait City tonight after a close call on the skies over Iraq. Controversial Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh and questions about Kavanaugh's drinking in the past. Sean Hannity, come on up, Sean Hannity. Today, Andrew Cuomo is having a moment. Hi, I'm Chris Steyerwalt. And I'm not Eliana Johnson. <laughs> Welcome to Ink Stained Wretches, where we break down what's going wrong and what's going right with the American news media and the person who is not Eliana Johnson. Who are you? I'm Christine Rosen. So, uh, I'm your colleague. You, well, you are my colleague. You are my friend, and I am a great admirer of yours. You are my co- a newish colleague here at the American Enterprise Institute. But for the purposes of our listeners who are unfortunate enough not to be familiar with you, give us a a thirty second the story of you. Hmm. Uh, I usually have a song that I put this to, but I'll <laughs> spare them that. No, I'm a I'm a fellow here at, at AEI, True. as you said, in the Social Cultural Constitutional Studies program. I, I you've think, all event peace be upon him. Exactly. Yes. He is he is our fearless leader, and we are a little island of misfit toys here in the land of free enterprise. <laughs> I enjoy it very much. Right. I'm also a columnist for Commentary Magazine and one of the co-hosts of the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast, on which you have been a guest many I've, times. I've gratefully been a guest, and this is a podcast where you're allowed to talk. So I'm I think so happy. I I'm going to interrupt you constantly. Exactly. Just Feel free to interrupt me whenever. This is fine. Uh, tell Abe there's hope. There's hope in other podcasts. No, <laughs> I love I love the commentary podcast, and I of course love uh, John Podoritz, who is the founder of the Feast. There. So, what is your just for a baseline as we go? What is your unified theory of the American news business or media today? Where are we? What is it? It's a time of great confusion, Chris. Word. It is. <laughs> there, you know, we're, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about this on the show with, you know, looming layoffs. It's, 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 a, it's an industry in search of a purpose, mm-hmm. and it's very full of a lot of hyperbole. They are saving democracy, combating misinformation, making sure that the American dream is crushed under the boot of social justice when necessary, and <laughs> lifted up when a, policing our speech, policing our thoughts. They, they, they have so much to do. It's a tiring job. And before you were at Commentary and AEI, what else did you do? I was the managing editor of the Weekly Standard mm-hmm. for a little while. I have also worked at the New America Foundation, the Ethics and Public Policy Center. I have had a lot of interesting think tank experience over the years. I was also on staff at Commentary Magazine for a few so years. So you have the, uh, I only ask the questions to point out to listeners that Christine has her bona fides. You have been, you, you, you have seen the good, you have seen the bad of the- Definitely seen the ugly. Yeah. Of, of, of the, of the, and of course, one of the essential things you have to work, to be an ink stain right, you have to work at least one publication that has been closed. Ah, that, no. that, 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 I got that, you that, that is one of the essential things. You can't really <laughs> be in the biz unless you've had that. So that is wonderful. All right. With that, shall we go to the front page? Up first on our front page, these are the stories that we thought were the most important this week. I'll just kick it off by saying many of your listeners are probably tired of hearing about this, but for those who have just come out of their uh, tryptophan-induced stupor, Donald Trump met at Mar-a-Lago with Nick Fuentes, who's a white supremacist, terrible person. And well, I, it was three. It was three terrible people. To yes, be fair, he yes, had a. He it had was a, a bouquet. Yeah, it was a bouquet terrible. of real turds. <laughs> and are we calling him Ye? I I don't. I call him Kanye West okay. because I didn't call Prince the artist formerly known as Prince, and I think that calling people Ye, if he had had one name change, 
mm. would say that Kanye West, I think you get it one time, yeah. but he had been Yeezy and Yeezus and now just Ye. I forgot about the Yeezus years. Yeah, so I feel like he's, I feel like he's, it's a process. And yes. so uh, Kanye West, whose stage name currently is Ye. Okay, yeah, so Kanye Fuentes and Trump had this. And, and. And, oh, what? Uh, Horrible Milo. Yes, Milo Yiannopoulos, what an uh, uh, ex-gay, as he refers yes. to himself, convert uh, to yes. heterosexuality. Is that something uh, you can convert? dabbling in it? Yeah. But he is was canceled by the. He was an alt-right star who was canceled by the alt-right for comments about pro-grooming and man-boy love and That's and right. the, the validity of man-boy love, which led him to become an ex-gay, which led him to become Marjorie Taylor Greene's intern somebody he got a lauren bobert marjorie taylor green somebody mm-hmm. of of that kind he got a hill job but now is reemerged as the campaign strategist for <laughs> for kanye west 2024 uh I mean, he's a performance artist although i use the term artist, artist loosely yes, yes. exactly yes. indeed so these the so stunt man so kanye had a meeting with trump and it was, was scheduled to have dinner with trump and then he brought along yiannopoulos and who's the other guy fuentes. Nick, nick fuentes who is uh, some sort of a white something. White supremacist, okay. yes. And a, and a horrible anti-Semite and just not the kind of person who should ever be given any sort of platform to discuss anything ever. I think, uh, fair. I think fair. I mean, a ham radio. He can have his own ham radio show. He can definitely show. have That's his fine. ham radio I'm show. happy with he that. Can, he can definitely sell emergency food provisions and water purification tablets. Mm-hmm. So what happened? Well, so they had this dinner. It got reported on. Uh, people were sort of horrified by this, obviously, because, you know, prior to this, of course, Kanye has been making all kinds of terrible anti-Semitic statements, you know, just saying lots of awful things. So then this became, and I think correctly so, people pointed this and said, why is Trump entertaining these kinds of people? This just shows that his entire movement has uh, long coddled and encouraged, you know, sort of the worst elements on I, the far I right. Share, I shared with the intrepid Nate Moore story, I think it was from Bloomberg, about new protocols being put in place at the Trump campaign to guard against <laughs> dining with white nationalists. But this is the thing, right? right? He immediately acted as if, uh, uh, I didn't know who these people, they just showed up. Now, that's ridiculous. He has round-the-clock Secret Service, Secret Service protection right. no and one gets to no, no one gets to eat overcooked steak with Donald Trump. No, they do that, not. No, that's like, we just didn't know. He just walked right in. Yes. So he knew exactly what he was doing. He must have sensed that there would be, that, that the backlash was beginning. And so he tried to throw it on his, threw his staff under the bus. You know, they didn't tell me. I didn't realize. If only I'd known. But it's, but even if it was just Kanye, that was also bad. Right. But Kanye, so this is the Trump thing. He figured, here's my theory, and who cares, but whatever. It's in between elections. My theory is Trump wanted to have dinner with Kanye because he knew that it would generate buzz. Mm. And it was because Kanye is black, and it's complicated, as Dave Chappelle's experience revealed, it's complicated to talk about Kanye West, who's also mentally ill, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Who is obviously demonstrably making a strong case for his untreated mental illness. Yes. And so Kanye, so here's the thought experiment. Do the media coverage of word leaks out that Kanye West had dinner at Mar-a-Lago. Mm-hmm. How does that story play differently than Trump has dinner with J6er white nationalist Nick Fuentes. Well, the first story is better for Trump, right? It's a good story because right? it upsets the right people mm-hmm. 
and it makes the right people happy, right? Mm-hmm. The Tucker Carlsonian set says, ha, 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 they try to, they, they hate Kanye, right? Because the, for right-wing America, media and right-wing America, being able to accuse the left of racism is the 10,000 bonus point, five gold star experience. Mm-hmm. So that would have played out correctly for Trump, but he didn't understand enough to know that Fuentes would cause what we saw in media coverage this week and where you have, as Republicans come back to Washington to for the lame duck session, and it's like, okay, before we get started, here are some <laughs> denouncements that we need to make before we begin. We denounce this and that and the other thing, and then the media gets to play this game, which is, uh, do you further denounce it if I say it this way? What if I say this? Do you denounce it, double denounce it? Well, see, this is the part of the story, the media part of the story that is annoying to me, although I would never, I you know, I think, Trump should not have met with these people. It's terrible. There's this tendency now, and, and it became highly noticeable during the Trump years, although it's always been around, where if you're a conservative or Republican president or a Republican, Republican political period, leader right. of, John at Boehner. all, yeah. and some nut, nutty right winger does or says anything, you you are then, a recorder is shoved in your mouth and you have to make a statement about it. That's right. It. Will you denounce? Do you? Right. What do you say about what this other person said? Right. And as as Republicans rightly point out, when Ilhan Omar, mm-hmm. or, speaking of anti-Semites, right, or whatever fruit bat of the left variety does something wrong, Nancy Pelosi is—it is not the first question that Nancy right. Pelosi does, and there is a double standard. But I always think back in this case about the birtherism mm. and the mistake that Republicans made on birtherism, which is much like Hillary Clinton uh, when the issue was first raised in 2008. Republicans in 2010 were like, well, you know, I, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't, I, I, I take him at his word mm-hmm. instead of saying, no, I denounce the people who are saying this because Republicans wanted to leave the door ajar. Like, I don't want to insult these people. And if they happen to think that Barack Obama is a stealth Kenyan who is seeking to bring uh, an Islamic fifth column into the United States to bring down the government from within, so be it, right? But they this, vote too. This was an interesting thing, right? The the sort of mainstream liberal media types have love to invoke the dog whistle, right? Yes. When a Republican talks, oh, this is racist, it's a dog whistle, they can all hear it. But actually Trump introduced something else, and I think his his probably his attempt to have dinner with just Kanye would have been another right. example of this. It is the sort of wink. He winks at the extremists yep. so that they see it and they Remember go, Remember the David Duke denunciation? Exactly. The lengthy, the the anguished, uh-huh. eventual denunciation right. of David Duke. Well, he can't bring himself to do it because he actually likes that those, even if he doesn't agree with yep. them, he needs their, he wants them to like him. He well, wants them on what's his side. The, what's the first thing Trump says about somebody when asked about a controversial for, person? Well, he's always had very nice things to say, say about, about me. me. Exactly. Yes. What yes. will you What will you say about the heat miser? I don't know. He's always <laughs> had very nice things to say about me. I mean, you know, I, I, I hear what Father Christmas is saying, but the heat miser, you know, he's always had very and, and, just asking questions. Yeah, Chris. he hosted a very nice event at Mar-a-Lago, and it was very tasteful. I thought. Okay, speaking of dog whistles, I just wanted to point to. Uh, well, let's do these out of order. So, speaking of Trump, Devin Nunes, who is he still in charge of Truth Media? Has that does that persist? The soon so, yeah. soon to be former Truth Media, which is uh, which was Trump's answer to Twitter, and we're gonna t- I promise we're gonna talk all about Twitter, but Truth Media, which is why Trump has not 
yet rejoin Twitter right. uh, because he can't abandon truth media yet. Sorry, investors, but eventually <laughs> Trump will have to, as as he is running for president, stop sharing his truths. Mm-hmm. But truth media, honcho, former congressman, arbitrary. One of the things I always noticed about Devin Nunes his, his waistline was always arbitrary. The belt mm-hmm. would be high, be up at the rib cage. Sometimes it's, it's like not. a mood ring for yeah, him. Yeah, you're actually. like, where is it's it? Because, like, you here. know, for dudes, we have to decide under the gut or over the gut. That's the big, <laughs> that's the choice that you have to make. How am I feeling today? Where are these pants going to fall? Nunez doesn't live under those rules. But anyway, according to Reuters, a U.S. judge on Monday said Devin Nunez, the former California congressman and an ally of former U.S. President Donald Trump, can sue NBC Universal for a defamation over a comment by Rachel Maddow concerning his relationship with a suspected Russian agent. Without ruling on the merits, U.S. Judge Kevin Castell in Manhattan said Nunez plausibly alleged actual malice with respect to a statement from a March 21 broadcast of MSNBC's Rachel Maddow show. Maddow was discussing a package addressed to Nunes from Andy Dirkich, a pro-Russia Ukrainian legislator, and said Nunes, quote, refused to hand it over to the FBI, which is what you should do if you get something from somebody who is sanctioned by the U.S. as a Russian agent. Now, for context, dear listeners, the reason that this matters is the bar is very high or defamation cases because what you have to what you have to ultimately show under the Sullivan New York Times standard is that you knew what you were saying was if you're talking about a public figure what you knew was saying what you were saying was wrong not only that you then have to demonstrate that what you said was knowingly untrue and intentionally harmful yeah. that you that you meant to harm the person now i don't know enough about this case to know about the judge's ruling but if this allows Devin Nunes to go into discovery and start getting emails from mm-hmm. Rachel Maddow and her staff. That's the significance here is that MSNBC could have trouble on its hands for the stuff that they said about Nunes and Trump because all of that would go to intent. All mm-hmm. of that, the, Nunes's lawyers will easily be able to say, we want every ma- email that relates to Devin Nunes and his relationship with Donald Trump, Devin Nunes and whatever else. And that could be that could be painful. That could yes. be embarrassing. Okay, so that's that. But what about speaking of <laughs> speaking of pain. Pain. So here is Gabriel Hayes at Fox News. Headline Representative Bobert's apparent midterm victory makes liberal pundits eat their words. Now, this is, I would say, the most pure uncut version of Foxnews.com hot trash. In it, it is the concession. Now, as of this writing, and Nate will know, Nate is going to give me a signal here. I don't believe that the Bobert race has been officially called yet because Colorado has automatic recount within a half a point. The Democrat conceded to incumbent Bobert, who was the race was a lot, lot closer. Yeah, it's like 500 votes. And it's going it, to, I believe it automatically recounts anyway. But so Fox writes, the concession of Democratic challenger Adam Frisch to incumbent Lauren Boebert in their extremely close race, casting new light on the opinions of liberal pundits who gloated over what seemed to be her impending loss. Now, what the article is, and it goes on at great length, to talk about mean things that people who hate Lauren Boebert said on Twitter and on television including the gross thing that Kurt Bardella said, yeah, is which is that she would have to be work in pornography in order to support herself, which was gross. But uh, uh, on Joy Reid's show, whatever. 
the, Kel the, Surprise. Your, yeah, your fault for watching. <laughs> if you were offended, it's your fault for watching. But the on and on this article goes talking about all of the things that Jen Psaki said, that everybody said, and it, of course, includes a Fox video of, oh, what's her name? Laura Ingram. Laura Ingram mm-hmm. interviewing Lauren Boebert as the, to, to celebrate her victory. Two things. Number one, no words will be eaten. Joy Reid is not going to say, man, you yeah. know what? Now that I think about it, I should have been nicer to Lauren Boebert because she is barely winning a race that she should have, that any other Republican would have won by 15 points or 10 points. That's not going to happen, number one. Number two, this race was way closer mm-hmm. than it should have been. Lauren Boebert is a terrible candidate for Republicans. She causes damage in other races. She is pain, unnecessary pain for Republicans, and accomplishes nothing for them. Mm-hmm. This kind of reflexive patootie kissing is another example of how if you have media outlets do the work that parties are supposed to do, it becomes clear that they have do not have coterminous interests. It is in foxnews.com's interest to put this up. Mm-hmm. It is not in the Republican Party's interest to put this up. It is not a pro-Republican piece. It does not help Republicans. It helps foxnews.com get dumb clicks from people who want to be upset and other people for being upset. And who would already be behind a candidate like Bobert? What they need, if you're a Republican, are the independents who they lost in this midterm. And and by the way, the people who like that story also would vote for a normal Republican, Mm -hmm. right? They would vote for a Republican who didn't have trashy controversies like Lauren Boebert. All right, hurrah, my hurrah, here endeth the harumphing. Okay, <laughs> I don't know whether you know this, but Twitter, as we know it, and therefore the universe, may be coming to an end. It's very um, sad. Yeah. I, I left, I do not tweet. I stopped tweeting in 2019. But you are even less qualified to talk about this than I am since you were pure. You never. I have never touched Twitter. You never no. added anything. I have not. Never a tweet. And I've talked people off lurker, of the platform. Do you, do you have a lurker account? I do not. You don't even lurk. No. You don't A.B. Stoddard it. That's very impressive. Have, did you ever talk John Podoritz through any of his many struggles? We had some discussions, yes. He had a lot of supportive uh, anti-Twitter folks around him who eventually weaned him off. He still has an account. He just doesn't tweet. I, I, picture, I picture John like coming off of heroin, right? Like eating oatmeal cream pies, smoking, <laughs> chain smoking cigarettes, trying to get through yeah. the urge to go back on. And good for him that he hasn't because if you can't, I think Twitter is fantastic for people who are engaged in specific interests and specific work. Mm-hmm. I think if you are a model railroad enthusiast, I think that if you are a molecular biologist, I think that if you are an antitrust expert and you follow people who are interested in the things that you are for for affinity and professional kind of communities, I think Twitter has been great. I think it's been a great place to save or to share information. And I'm sure that we can, I'm sure that if we could, we could track advancements in fields and the course of human knowledge from Twitter. But as a general interest location, it is a trash heap. It is a horrible place. It is a video game in which you get points for making people upset. I will say, okay. 
as you know, if you if you follow media or are part of the media, it is the media's playground. Mm-hmm. It's this sandbox. They are they are the ones most apocalyptic right now over Elon Musk's purchase of Twitter. They're also the ones who who you know use it most avidly and think of it as an as as an actual encapsulation of what's going on in the yeah. real world when it's not. But what I found it useful for is. It's extremely revealing of reporters who otherwise might like to have hidden behind being unbiased or working for an August publication. When you read Nicole Hannah-Jones of the New York Times' Twitter feed, you think, this person is bananas. Like, she's just nuts. Like, she's, she's. There's conspiracy And a person who is a historian, who 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 presents herself as a historian, whose grasp of history is beneath that of either of my children. Yes. Yes. So like you, and, and, you know, you can list 20 reporters who are very active on Twitter who have shown their hands in a way that I think is useful for consumers of media because they can point to it and say, ah, so now when I read you writing about any of these things, I at least know up front. The, right. the position you're coming exactly. from, I cannot expect objectivity. My, my coverage of vegetarianism is not it's going gonna be to be, yeah, people are not going to be like, <laughs> I think he's just interested in going where the facts lead. <laughs> but so Elon Musk, we'll ha- before, maybe at the end of the year, we'll have an, an, an a, I love your Musk, a uh, year in review. Because the ger- it's like the drugstore perfumes, like if you like opium, you'll love, exactly, you know, whatever exactly. the knockoff Ex- opium Ex- jupe. is. But the, the, the story arc of Elon Musk, and it was revealed very much today. Elon Musk, looking to change the narrative, has announced that they're going to start putting nickel-sized microchips in people's brains to augment their reality. And I'm like, bro, you can't get the like button right. I don't know that I want you to put metal in my brain. Yes, Neuralink. I, yeah. yeah. I, I, it, Not yeah. FDA. They've only submitted for FDA approval. So but they, he, but but it's like it, you, could, you could tell it was an announcement for the sake of announcing. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I don't know about that. And I saw the coverage and I realized, and th- there was also hit, I don't mean hit piece in that it was not true, but an unnecessary, like it was not, it was not pegged to anything about the failure of the boring company, which was Musk's innovation when he was still the doyen of the tech world, when he was the Sam Bankman fried of his of his day, uh, that Elon Musk was going to defeat traffic mm-hmm. with his boring machine that was going to, you'll be able to go from uh, San Francisco to Los Angeles in two minutes and it'll make you a cappuccino along the way. The whole and, Hyperloop thing. Yeah, the, well, yeah, the Hyperloop and the Richard Branson Still, will, another will, weird billionaire who is still doing his Hyperloop thing. And I know that one's better because it goes through West Virginia. And West Virginia was the state that was like, hypersonic tube death bullet? Okay, I don't know. Fine. West Virginia. <laughs> Let's West, do it. Yeah, West Virginia is like, I don't know, boss. You want to do it? I guess you can do it. Thank you for being you, West Virginia. But the coverage of Musk has all taken on such a profoundly negative tone. This is what's wrong with the boring company. This is what's wrong with putting nickel-sized microchips in your in your tender neural tissue. This is what's wrong with this. And a lot of it was obvious before, but when Elon Musk was primarily known as the Henry Ford of electric cars, it was all a very different story. And good evidence of that is the and and the reason of course they're so upset with him is he's killing the thing that they love, or they think he's killing the thing that mm-hmm. they love, which is Twitter. And here's a Washington Post profile. Quote, Elon Musk, you know, well, let's see, it is our it is our practice to try to say who wrote things for good or for ill. Uh, Emily Heil said, wrote the following, Elon Musk, the world's richest human, might be completely unrelatable in most ways. 
who among us can buy a $44 billion company on a whim Meow. or or build a rocket ship to Mars because they liked reading science fiction as a kid. But hey, he's got at least one thing in common with the common man. Dripping. Can you feel the, the disdain dripping? There should be stalagmites. <laughs> or which ones come from the ceiling? Tights. Like tights. There should yeah. be stalag, green stalactites of disdain dripping from the lead of the story. Uh, Musk on Monday tweeted a photo of his nightstand, which bore an odd array of items, including two non-firing replica guns, a Buddhist amulet, four open can- and four open cans of caffeine-free Diet Coke. And the headline on the story is Elon Musk in the hardcore cult of Diet Coke. <laughs> I disapprove of it being caffeine-free. That's where I like. Well, who like, is drinking caffeine-free Diet Coke? Why would you do that? You drink it for the caffeine. Yeah, because Diet Coke is gross it's and tasteless why, yeah, and chemicals. Why, yeah, why yeah. would you? Why? Why would you do that? And now it is, as is consistent with Elon Musk, who, by the way, tweeted out the alt-right Pepe. The frog. The frog meme. So yeah. Elon Musk, who is attempting to do the Donald Trumpian thing mm-hmm. of cozying up to creeps, but then expressing, I I don't know whether he says, I, I, I don't know whether, I don't think this is his nightstand. I don't think it, at least it's his regular nightstand. Mm-hmm. Maybe this is a hotel. Is it true maybe he doesn't have a home? I don't know where he impregnates all of these women. I was going to uh, say, he gets around. Yeah. We do I mean, know that. Yeah, he, but he's he gets not, around. He, he's knocking up all these women without a home base to work out of, which is adding complexity to this. But if if it was his nightstand, this was in a shared room or something or whatever, because it's got a Revolutionary War replica flintlock musket or pistol in a box with adorned with Washington crossings of Delaware and some, and, and also a, goofily large looking like looks like a 45 44 45 a big a a goofy biden would call it a semi-automatic biden would definitely call it a semi-automatic but it 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 definitely looks like something that somebody who has oversight who has a lift kit on a pickup truck would carry as a carry as a pistol but so that's the degree of obsession that there is that we're down to what's on his nightstand and all of that for real news, COVID ends its ban on COVID misinformation. What do we make of this? Well, so this is interesting to me, this story about how uh, Musk basically said Twitter's no longer going to put, um, you know, get rid of stuff, disappear stuff that is considered misinformation. This is a good policy. It's what's angering a lot a lot of people in the media. But this is the correct policy because Twitter was terrible about yep. identifying stuff during the pandemic as being true or false. And yet there was a there was a really strong sense of sanctimony among the Twitter censors and moderators that this is this is the way, you know, this is the only way to do this. We are the platform really taking that we have a whole team devoted to this. Yep. So Musk fired a lot of those people. Um, they're very angry and they're going to conferences and talking to reporters about how terrible he is. But it, it was the right policy. And here's why. There's a lot of misinformation on social media platforms. Social media platforms arguably are designed to share the worst parts of human nature, which or at least they invariably will. They reward it, yeah. yes, and they will. And what they often, what what Twitter's official policy often did, if you go back a few years and you look at what they were calling misinformation, much of it has now been shown to right. be true. Right. So it was a good. It's a good policy. I think the absolutely wild overreaction on on the part of a lot of journalists and mainstream media to this is very telling because a lot of the stuff that 
those of us who were called grandma killers for saying maybe our kids' schools should open like they did in Europe and maybe we don't need to mask toddlers for 20, you know, right. 12 hours a day. These are all things we should have a debate about. Well, the, you the, are not the, allowed to the, have that the key, conversation. The key phrase of that time was bad luck. It's not a good it, look. Yeah, it's not, it's a, not good a good look, look yeah. Christine. I'm on the wrong side of right. history, it's, clearly. It's not a good look for you, Christine, to be talking <laughs> about these things right now. And look, uh, these are prudential questions, right? Too much. There, there is a bad look if you're like, I don't know anything about any of that. Yeah, this is good. It, to, this, it's good to call out people who are doing what Trump or Musk is doing, where you're cozying up to or yeah. blah, blah. That's fine. But the, the degree to which, yes, the grandma killers mm-hmm. for saying things, and I think this is also part of the story of Ron DeSantis' success in Florida, by the way, which is DeSantis was so pilloried mm-hmm. for policies that were said to be crazy and totally out of step. Death Santis, remember that? Death Santis, and this is so crazy and all of this stuff. And in the end, Florida's mortality rate as a state that is old, Mm -hmm. I mean old, was just in line with states that that took draconian Mm -hmm. measures and- Had younger populations. Had younger populations. And so I think that's part of it. Uh, The degree to which Musk keeps getting fact-checked by Twitter- how long can that? How long can that go on? Well, I mean, he, you know, he's a very mercurial guy. I think people on the right are wrong to assume he's a fellow traveler. He really isn't. He's a very quirky man. I, I admire a lot about what he's. I mean, we, we didn't even mention SpaceX, but you know, the, his his privatization of space travel has yeah. basically breathed new life into NASA and kind totally. of lit a fire under those guys who are like, oh crap, wait, this guy this guy wants to go to Mars. We better get get. And the partnerships has created the private public partnerships. Those are all for the and good. The, and the pressure on the by the way on the car industry. Yes. To embrace what I refer to as coal fired vehicles. Mm-hmm. Keep burning delicious, delicious. <laughs> West Virginia coal in order to power yeah. your your yeah. smug mobiles. That's fine. <laughs> no, but he so he's he's got a very you know he's a bomb thrower. So yeah. I think he's gonna and he already has and he will continue to make missteps with Twitter. But this this apocalyptic rhetoric about how I you know and again a lot of journalists are like. I just want to inform my followers, all of you who love me, I'll be leaving, but you can find me on Mastodon. I mean, Mastodon doesn't work, but I will be there building something new. This is like the gab of the left, right? (laughs) So first it was like, we're going to have a place with no rules for anything. And it's like, well, that's a lot of brony pornography, sir. That is a lot more than I had bargained (laughs) for. federal violation. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, So that was, the right was like, we're leaving and we're going to go do our own thing. And now- Lefty reporters are going to leave to go to Mastodon, which takes us all the way back. Do you remember Journalist? Oh yes, yes. Long ago, in the in the mists of time of the internet of the late internet 1.0, was a listserv that included like I don't know who like Ezra Klein Ezra probably Klein, feels for like sure. feels like speaking of Smugmobiles yeah. that Ezra Klein would be would have been there, <laughs> but that 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 Washington and political journalist had this. What it, a, a chat, right, mm-hmm. that was going on to talk about the issues of the day. The desire for that club, mm-hmm. a press, an online press club is always there. I, one of the lessons that I have taken from Musk, one of the lessons I've taken from the struggles at Meta is this is nowhere near a mature market. Right. There is a long way to go. There will be more failures and more successes. And it was tempting to think for a period of time after 2016 that this was the world as it would be. 
And I think they thought that, right? I think mm -hmm. Twitter thought that. I think Facebook thought that. I think it was, this is how it's going to be. But the market is much more fluid. And as I listen to Amy Klobuchar tell me how she's going, or whoever, tell me how they're going to control, I'm like, this is not a mature marketplace at all. And many changes are ahead. So whatever else Elon Musk has done, he has proven that these companies can change and will change and do change and that we don't, that we're, we're not there yet. Also, I just want to say he's a perfect villain. Yes. For left-leaning, you know, activist types because he frustrates them constantly and he loves to troll them. Yes. And so then they take the bait. But but there is a vacuum in the villain world right now. And he's, you know, he's... Trump just, there's I not mean, as much snap in the yeah, noodle with Trump. They just, it they was, can't decide. Is it is it DeSantis? But DeSantis is a little stodgy. You know, it's, he's not, he's not quite as... Mark, uh, speaking of which, DeSantis just got his first taste of Mark Leibovich. Oh, uh, that today. Piece. Oof. Oof. Terrible Oof. piece. It was like a... Nobody is better at Mark. And the, what makes Mark Leibovich so good, we'll link it in the show notes, but what makes Mark Leibovich so good at being bad and being mean is that he does it, he does it without, there's no anger in it. Okay, but that, I have to, I, that was not a good piece. He has no sources close to DeSantis. That's no, what no, I, I know. Prefer. Yeah, he's no, like, no, no. he's got nothing and he was No, like, it was just a scene piece. Yeah. The, what Leibovich does is he's an outsider observing, right? And in the famous This Town opening. Which he's, is, I did like that book. He's, yeah. he's writing about Tim Russert's funeral. Right. And he wasn't saying, I'm here as a friend of Tim Russert. He's not saying like, I'm, I'm here, here I come to defend, or I'm one of these people. And the part of uh, Leibovich that is, and it's not that it's not on the level, but the, the conceit of Leibovich is that he is outside of this world, when really he is. Well, and this is why I didn't think the DeSantis piece worked for him in a way that his, some of his previous journalism has, which I did like. And that's that he's he's actually an insider pretending to be an outsider reporting on an right. actual outsider. And yes. it doesn't work like he doesn't get I don't I didn't like that piece. And I thought it was it was like not called, it was not certainly not a it, it was not like the Dexter Filkins piece that he links to, which right. was surprised. By the way, we've talked here before about how. Politicians like DeSantis and others are going around the mainstream media mm -hmm. instead of through it. Mike Pence is doing it the traditional way right now, which is he's going right through the front door, sitting down for all the interviews with his book. What is the title? It's the worst title. By, or for, by God. or like it's got, it, it sounds is. like something my grandma would say when I dropped the cheese or something it's, like, what it, is it? So help so me God. Help me God. So help me it's God. like a threat. There's a kind of threat. So help me God. If I am allowed to run for president, Sir, I, will I will bore <laughs> I will crush you with boredom. I described the vice presidential campaign in 2016 ad. As, oh. as a as a race between a mayonnaise sandwich on white bread and a mayonnaise sandwich on wheat bread. Tim Kaine was like, it's actually Roman meal. So it's a little better for it. It's got a little extra fiber. But the DeSantis can credit a significant part of his boom to the Dexter Filkins piece, which was a mainstream piece that got smart, normal Republicans mm -hmm. To say, oh, there's more depth here. He is a more interesting, complicated person. So it was a mainstream piece written against the wishes of DeSantis. Right. That actually was very helpful to DeSantis's bid for the presidency. Uh, As a Floridian, I get to say that. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, um, and a lot, a lot of, lot of family and friends who are still there. My sister lives in the in Dunedin, this, the the 
little town that DeSantis grew up in. And it is funny to talk to locals. They're like, oh, suddenly we're like the hot spot. Dunedin exactly. is not a hot spot at all. It's a great place to raise a family, which is where my lovely nephews are being raised. But it is really funny. They're getting a little taste of the sort of national news yeah, 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 cycles. Yeah. What way was of it like? It. And we, we here have talked about the piece where they went to the high school where he taught, <laughs> where it was like the, the, the woman who was just one of his students was like, he was racist. And Washington Post is like, well, there you have it. There, <laughs> case there, closed. Case closed. She said so. But what I think Leibovich's piece did was say, and I think it was important to be said about DeSantis, which is, remember, he's not likable. Like, you yeah. should remember, and this is what people, um, this is this is the, the hard thing with DeSantis. And I watched closely his run against Adam Putnam mm-hmm. for governor the first time. Ron DeSantis, and he, I think it may be even quoting in the Filkins piece, but that he's quoting the Filkins piece, that Leibovich says, quotes the guy who says, the, the good news for the, the, the best part about Ron DeSantis is that he doesn't give a blank. Mm-hmm. The worst thing for Ron DeSantis is that he doesn't give a blank. Right. And his lack of empathy or ability to do that, and Leibovich points out, maybe it works for him in the end in a Republican Party that it doesn't want slickness and does not want to have a blow-dried right. politician, does not want Romnesian energy. But he needs those suburban independent voters. They want some empathy. They want some empathy, and uh, and he will need to, he'll need to figure out how to talk about it. But anyway, so speaking of Twitter, <laughs> so Taylor Lorenz, who wrote uh, the Twitter ends its band on COVID misinformation. Now, Taylor Lorenz, as we have talked, and by the way, this is the same writer at Fox News writing this one. So uh, Gabriel Hayes covering the waterfront on owning libs. Uh, <laughs> but in this case, uh, got it. Lorenz, uh, Taylor Lorenz rips Elon Musk on BBC. He has made Twitter a disaster. What she failed to point out, and she has, she have a new look. Am I allowed to say that she has, seems to have She's a- She's had a refresh. Let's just, we'll, we'll say she looks- very well rested is how we. She put looks that. well rested. Yes. She looks different. She has a very serious filter on her camera. Yeah, as well. for sure. She like has, the Barbara Walters. She has a Carrie Lake. Yeah. She has a yeah. Carrie Lake Vaseline. level. Yes. yes, exactly. Gelled out. Yeah, she's uh, a daytime soap opera lens. There, exactly. It's working the for tele, tele, telenovelas. <laughs> so Taylor Lorenz attacking Elon Musk and attacking Twitter and going on BBC to talk about this. But what I think is funny is. She's she accuses him of censorship. She accuses him of all of this stuff. And it's like, bro, you're on Twitter. Mm -hmm. You're you're doing that. You're on Twitter doing this. And the criticisms of Musk from how about this? It is reasonable to criticize Elon Musk's management of Twitter because it so far seems chaotic. And it seems like he is. I think it was may have been John who said he he hates Twitter, right? Because he was made to buy it and he's angry at it and he seems to be acting out against it. But the you can't make the criticism that he is banning people or he's doing the other, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He's not, he's he's pro-free speech well, he's, so he's, far. Remember when disruption in Silicon Valley was something we were supposed to admire? So now we can't because the wrong person's being disruptive. But Taylor Lorenz is a, is, a, is is one of the worst hypocrites in in media she's you could have just stopped after one of the worst she's just she's you know she's 
printed lies about people. And then when called out for her lies, she becomes the perfect cry bully and uses Twitter to be a cry bully. She's like, I'm under attack. It's terrible. Then sends her gazillion followers after other people who have given her legitimate criticism for her poor journalism. Eliana work. would be pleased that her subbeat of of hating on Taylor Lorenz is oh, being I'm so, maintained. I, see, this is why I love Eliana. She, exactly. she knows. No, so, so in this particular case, it's especially egregious because Taylor Lorenz has spent the last, I don't know, two years and, yes. and very particularly the last six months or so spreading misinformation about long COVID, about risks of, you know, continuing risks of COVID, absolutely praising zero COVID policies in, say, places like, oh, I don't know, China. So How's she, that working out? She, yes. she is a hysteric. I actually say that part of it with sympathy. I think she is she is irrational about the risks to herself personally, and that is appearing in her work. It's appearing in her response to things that she should have more objectivity towards as a journalist. It's really not great that The Washington Post assigned her this particular beat, uh, and she really shouldn't be covering tech at all because her sources tend to be like, you know, 12-year-old girls she, <laughs> whose DMs she slid into. I mean, it, she's just not a legitimate journalist of this particular space because she herself participates in a way that I think has proven detrimental to her own well-being. Let's put it that way. Word is what I will say. Okay, well, let's, we're going to pick up the pace here. We're going to move on to take a listen to the, the Good Morning America and it's the interview that it has with Sam Bankman-Fried, the impresario, Democratic donor and media impresario. I can't imagine what it feels like to go from $20 billion to $100,000. Yeah. How did he go from crypto hero to crypto supervillain? Today, a lot of people look at you and see Bernie Madoff. GMA Tomorrow, Sam Bankman-Fried, one-on-one with George Stephanopoulos. What happened to the billions people invested with him? What is the talent that you have that convinced people they should invest billions of dollars? He was on top of the world. You got all these celebrities. You did it in a big way. Yeah. Have you gotten calls from any of the celebrities who endorsed you? But now... Are you worried about going to jail? And what led to this? That's a pretty stunning admission. The breaking new interview tomorrow on ABC's Good Morning America. I want you to talk about him in this voice. We must be very Shatner-like when we discuss these things so that people know that it is serious. So Sam Bankman-Fried is on his media tour and the post-catastrophe spin. And the question is, is it... And this is something, by the way, that people people inside the crypto industry, I can't believe I just used those words, but people inside the crypto industry sector complained about from the beginning that this is fraud, not unlike frauds that take place in other financial markets, not anything to do with cryptocurrency, certainly, and, and a fair point, certainly nothing to do with blockchain itself. Mm-hmm. And that criticism is not much heard because all of the patootie kissing coverage that Sam Bankman-Fried got along the way, now outlets don't want to say we were we were snookered by this guy who's a fraudster. We took what, his money. Yeah, we took his money. What they want to say is like, crypto, who knows? What's up with that? It always seemed weird to me, but my my favorite today is... Sam Bankman-Fried blames, quote, huge management failures for FTX collapse in the New York Times. Now, fair enough, but the piece is based off of Sam Bankman-Fried's appearance 
at the New York Times' own Deal Book mm-hmm. conference in Manhattan. So here is an article about a the biggest financial sector story going on today that is also cross-promotional to the New York Times cockamamie deal book conferences where they are trying to be like, I don't know, like Aspen, whatever, like whatever. Everybody wants one of these things because it's a, it's a monetizable mm-hmm. salon where you can get people to pay to rub elbows with important people and blah, 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 blah. And the fact that while this guy who very, very possibly could be facing serious criminal charges has this yuck it up interview with who did the I I don't know who Sorkin, conducted right? Oh is that yeah, that would be right Ross Sorkin Andrew Ross Sorkin Yeah so this yuck it up they're laughing and talking about stuff and then it's emotional and then we feel our feelings to talk about what went on This is not appropriate journalism right no, Well so first of all when he says oh management failures I expected he live streams in from some like undisclosed Bahamas location where he's continuing to spend the money that he fraudulently took from from investors. And I wanted him to be facing a mirror and doing like the Stuart Smalley, like, right. I'm good enough. I'm, I'm smart, smart enough. enough. And gosh <laughs> darn it, people, people like, like me. <laughs> because uh, you know what? These people like him. And yes. if he had given money to the Republican Party and to yes, Trump if he had at that yes. scale, yes. there is no way he'd be sitting in front of a potted plant, you know, yucking it up with Andrew Ross Sorkin while rich people paid to listen to him. There's no accountability here. This guy is getting away with a lot because his parents are liberal activists. He is he is himself a liberal activist who funded a lot of liberal causes. And they now just want to kind of go, oh, oopsie daisy, but he's defrauded regular people. He didn't take the money of like some billionaire and waste it. He's taken money from people who probably cannot afford to have it gone and are never going to get it back. And it, as you can tell by the tone of my voice, I get very scoldy, mean mommy voice in these sorts of situations because this guy needs to be held accountable. And the fact that the mainstream media is acting as if he's just a poor, misunderstood genius who wanted to do good in the world. Yeah, nice kid. It's ridiculous. It's like Donald Trump said of his 40 whatever year old son <laughs> after the after the Trump, the Trump Tower meeting with the Russian operative. Was like he's a nice he's a nice young man he's a he's a good boy and you're yeah. like he's 45 he's yeah. a father of five what are you talking about well and this and he's getting so Sam Bankman Fried's getting this treatment too right they're like oh he's this underdressed genius look at he's so well, disheveled here, here, put on a tie dude you're <laughs> put on a tie here is Axios you're be indicted <laughs> here's Axios so the last week or two weeks ago I hope everyone enjoyed had a good Thanksgiving and enjoyed our best of show last week but we talked before about what had been the peak Axios piece, Axios, which was about how to ride the seaplane from Washington to New York oh, yeah, for that. five grand or whatever. I read that it took me 1.2 minutes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> be like, your estimate was high when you said two. I was done in 1.2. But here is Emily Peck, author of Axios Markets. Sam Bank headline, Sam Bankman Freed's underdressed genius look. And has he a looks like a toddler. Ha, well, he, he, what he he's what he looks like, like here toddler. is like he's wait in the photograph. He looks like he's waiting outside of a methadone clinic, <laughs> and in, in Calistoga, California. And it is here's the lead. I think it's a quote. I think it's fair to say in the thousands of female founders we've met, there's not a single one who has ever dressed like Sam Bankman-Fried. Nisha Dua, co-founder of BBG Ventures, an early-stage investment fund that backs women founders, told Axios recently she was talking about Bankman-Fried's signature disheveled look. Shorts, frumpled, T-shirt, must hair. (laughs) This is so good. Here's the next word. Why it matters. And I'm here to tell you, Axios, it doesn't. It doesn't matter. Well, it's sexism, don't you see? Well, 
it's sexism. I had to brush my hair to come do this. Yeah, exactly, podcast. exactly. <laughs> and whereas, as anybody can, everybody will attest. I'm I'm just wearing a trash bag. Is all I didn't it looks do. Good. You make it work. Yeah, I make it work. It's hefty. I bought the best. <laughs> Investors in tech startups have long gravitated super casually dressed young men. The FTX's founders fall from grace. Could be a moment to break the cycle. Could be a moment to break the cycle. Oh, oh Axios, never change. Well, you will eventually when Cox slashes you to the bone and makes you stop writing about seaplanes and Sam Bankman freed shorts. But anyway, that I I my favorite of the Sam Bankman freed coverage, Atlantic, Annie Lowry, the black investors who were burned by Bitcoin. Subhead. Neglected by the traditional financial system, they got into cryptocurrency with gusto, but late. Dun, dun, dun. Now, let me tell you something, I, and you don't know this, and I'm sorry to listeners that this is something I always come back to. Many articles that are written about what is perceived to be systemic racism is, are really about poverty, right? Yes. Because in many cases, you can say blank affects people who don't have college degrees. Blank affects people who have household incomes below fifty thousand mm-hmm. dollars. Blank ha- now we can say that there are systemic and historical reasons that Black Americans are f- overrepresented in those populations compared to the na- compared to White Americans. That is a that is a discussion. But poor White people struggle with everything too, and poor Hispanic people mm-hmm. struggle with everything too. Poor people, life is hard for everyone. And if you're poor and poorly educated, uh, it's really hard. So you could have written the same, Annie Lowry could have written the same piece, mm-hmm. but said about Appalachian Americans. She could have done the same piece and said, Americans who live inside the Appalachia, or they, she could have said Native Americans. She could have said people who live in Miami-Dade County. She could have done any number of other places. To make this about race... Mm-hmm specifically is the 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 reaching in this story the the, the if you'll part if you'll pardon the pun mining for racism <laughs> in this soon, story Chris, that, that somehow that somehow the fall of bitcoin has to be racist in some way and it's like well they didn't get in early well guess what poor people don't get in early because they don't have money and then they heard about it and then they invested in it and that was too bad but here's what makes it Fantastic. Here's what makes it really fantastic. Flashback to. (laughs) Flashback to this piece was January 7th, 2015. Also in the Atlantic. Why are so few black people using Bitcoin? The Atlantic wants to know. Why aren't you getting into Bitcoin, black Mm -hmm. America? Quote, as overall awareness of Bitcoin has grown, African-Americans like Jackson, talking about a guy who was a. You could smell the vape on his breath, the investor who was talking to the Atlantic. African-Americans like Jackson might be able to serve as the currency's cultural ambassador to certain minority communities. So in 2015, the Atlantic publishes an article saying that it's racist, that racism or issues of race are why black Americans are not smartly getting into Bitcoin Mm -hmm. at the same rate. Then in when it goes, when when Sam Bankman freed loses his shorts, then it's like, well, it was racist that they didn't get in sooner, and now it's racist that they got burned now. And it's like, hey, relax, Atlantic. Relax. Calm down. Harumph. I've had two harumphs today. All right. We're going to quickly move now through a bunch of cuts. NPR hiring freeze, CNN cuts, our latest sign of media crunch. What is happening there, Christine? 
I mean, a recession, perhaps looming. Also, perhaps in places like CNN, too long a bench. They have like 12 benches of contributors, all of whom, even if the contracts aren't huge, are, are on contract to appear on CNN. Many of them never appear or only appear rarely. So they, Chris Licht has come in and he's slashing burning. There's there's a question. I, my question is, is where the axe will fall in terms of like political contributors and left and right and all that. So that'll be interesting to see. I feel very badly for my friends who work at CNN. I feel really badly that they're li- they're literally sitting there waiting to see if they'll have a job in the and new today, year. And today, as we're recording this, I think is the day yeah. that the layoffs yeah, so are supposed to come down. So I feel bad. Any, losing a job is a terrifying thing for anyone. So even even as we criticize the media, in, in I you know every month I write a column in the commentary criticizing the media, I would never wish unemployment on anyone, particularly not in this economy. So, uh, but I, he came in saying he's going to make major changes. And CN- part of that, CNN, I, I, CNN keeps its CNN. Does CNN need an Atlanta, New York, and Washington right. presence in the way that it does? I understand its roots are in Atlanta, but does it really need as big an Atlanta presence as it does? Certainly, they don't need all the contributors that they have right. because what's the complaint of everybody who I know? who's a contributor at CNN and not Jonah Goldberg, who they work, they, 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 they put through his paces. But what do people say is they don't, they hired me and they won't use me. Right. They hire me and then I never get to go on. Got all these thoroughbreds and keeping them in the stable. Exactly. And what CNN used to do would be they would hire people to keep them off the market so they wouldn't be other places Mm -hmm. and then not give them the airtime. Or when they gave them airtime, it was in a Star Wars bar panel with like 13 people. You know, you know, here here comes Donna Brazil like on a hoverboard to just come through and say something as she's riding. She weirdly floats through so many panels. Exactly. And the they were not using the people to their best you so some of this is important and a reminder for everybody for any young people listening to this who want to be in the news business this is a business where you get fired mm-hmm. this is a business where the places you work close this is a business that is not this is not working for prudential right yeah. this is a weird business that always is going through restructuring and is always going through that stuff but serious sympathy for the folks who yeah. are losing their gigs over there. I, can I say something yeah. about National Public Radio has also announced oh, yes, that please, it's please. Got having big, big budget things. This one I am a little more gleeful, even though <laughs> our tax dollars support this this network. They have gone so social justice oriented in the last few years. It's a that lot. Even, even some of my most, you know, the tote bag carrying hardcore liberals who, you know, are, are all on board with all of it. Even they have turned it off. It's like, a lot. It's like you can play bingo with the with the terms and the phrases. And, I, and again, there's some good reporters there. But whatever management decision came down, like you know, during the Trump years, it has curdled what they used to churn out, and I, it makes me sad. I used to rely. I used to rely on NPR in the morning. Me too. Uh, I'd listen to it every morning. I would listen to it every morning um, because number one, it was good. If if I can read the Wall Street Journal editorial page and listen to NPR in the morning, I have a pretty good idea about what the, mm-hmm. where the Overton window, like what's, what's the frame of how people are seeing the day's news and da, 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 da. Uh, and NPR has def, it got so, I don't know if, I, Colin, did I ever talk on this podcast about the guy who kept mispronouncing, the white guy who kept mispronouncing Louis Armstrong's name? Oh no. It was so great. He was talking about Louis Armstrong and he was, I was listening to his uh, public radio. I was in a car and the driver had, <laughs> had NPR on and he was interviewing. So white guy or what audibly sounded like an, a, a person of extreme pallor interviewing. An Melanin Af- challenge is also appropriate. Yes. Yeah. Uh, African-American gentleman who'd written a book reconsidering Louis Armstrong 
and civil rights because Louis Armstrong came under a lot of criticism from black Americans for being an Uncle Tom and that he hadn't stood up for da-da-da-da-da. And this guy said, whoa, 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 more context. And it's an interesting thing. I even ordered the book and I look forward to reading it. But the white guy kept pushing back on this narrative. And while he was doing it, kept calling him Louis Armstrong. And he's like, but... But uh, Louis Armstrong oh, no. certainly had a platform that he failed to use. And I'm like, bro, you are struggling. Okay, AP fires reporter behind retracted Russian missile story. Good. I mean, some, fi- uh, the, some firings are good. The editors should have been fired Probably more. for that. That was a case where I think it was a little murky. And having been, I've both been, a, I've reported stuff, but I've also been in the editing role. Yeah. Like, this was a major, major fluke by some of the editors that at AP. A, so I think that, I mean, I, again, like maybe another or more heads should have rolled with that one. Yeah, this was, that that was a, uh, and by the way, you have different standards when you're at the Associated Press because you can start a war because that goes around yeah. the world. That's not a, yeah. that's not a Taylor Lorenz tweet. <laughs> Do not give her ideas. Speaking of serious stuff, rise in Iranian assassination, kidnapping plots, alarm Western officials. This at the Washington Post, kudos to the Washington Post, talking about, Tracking over time. This is Shane Harris, Swad Mekinet, and Yegeni Torbati writing about how around the world, Iranian, uh, the Iranian government has targeted journalists. Uh, and we care about other people who aren't journalists, but this is a journalism podcast. Who the way that they've targeted, and it's scary, and it's evil, and I'm glad that the Post reported on it. Mm-hmm. Another example of why the Biden administration shouldn't be trying to continue to talk about cutting deals with a country that's trying to assassinate journalists worldwide. But All right, uh, and who lose at soccer? Okay, on to our style section. We have a deep, rich, we have a deep and rich style section this week, and I'm going to lead it off with President Biden is turning 80, says the New York Times. This was from his birthday. Experts say age is more than a number. I wish you'll have to play the part of Eliana Johnson today because this is Cheryl Gay Stolberg, who oh is a serious reporter, writes a a doozy of a piece that says 80. I mean, age is just a number, right? It was a real Lulu of a patootie kisser. It The, the contortions, which they put, she must have lost a bet at like the New York Times poker game or something because the contortion she had to put herself through, you can actually feel her like typing in agony. It, it, it kind of struck me as being like a, I don't know, it would make a great Golden Girls episode, right? Like get rid of Biden and, you know, bring in some older <laughs> right. ladies and have them, you Rue know. McClanahan. Yeah, yeah Rue exactly. McClanahan plays the role of Biden. But look, Biden is old. And this this attempt, you know, we saw these whispers right before the right before the midterm elections about, uh, maybe he's too old, he's, he's a little off his game. Actually, for, for mainstream outlets to report any of that was a big change, yeah. right? Because up until that point, they hadn't really been discussing his physical and mental sort of performances. And now we're back to 80 is the new 40. I, you know, maybe he can, he can call Taylor Lorenz and get a get her refreshing techniques. But this is a serious problem. His age is going to be a serious problem for the party. He's hemming and hawing still about 2024. Weirdly, he was supposed to talk about it with his family over Thanksgiving, but then he didn't. And so who knows what's going on? The hyperbaric chamber he has in the basement of his Delaware beach house is clearly working for him. But like, how long can this last? His age is a serious issue. One of the tricks that we know about the readers should always remember, if you want to know what a reporter's bias is, read the kicker, read mm. the closing yes. paragraph, because that's where at the end they're like, just in case you missed it, 
This is what you Here's should Here's the club think. I'm right. going to beat you over the head with. Dr. Oshansky also says it is a misconception to think being president ages a person. <laughs> in fact, former presidents tend to live longer, as an analysis he published in 2011 showed. Former President Jimmy Carter, who has been active well into his 90s, turned 98 last month. George H.W. Bush was 94 when he died in 2018. Hey, Dr. Oshansky, look at the photograph of Barack Obama. And tell me, have yeah, with the president. Tell, yeah. tell, tell me that he feels better than ever. Okay, here's the kicker graph. As to whether age should matter in any election, Dr. Nir Bazali, who is a leading, who is leading a study of center, centenarians, and directs the Institute for Aging Research at the Albert Einstein College of Medicine, put it simply, quote, age, he said, is not something to consider on its own. <laughs> that is, so now you know, in case, Christine, you were thinking about thinking about Joe Biden's age, mm -hmm. Cheryl Gay Stoldberg has made it clear that you should not. All right, elsewhere to a GMA anchor romance revealed T.J. Holmes and Amy Robach what is going on here? You read the Daily Mail, so I don't I have do, to. I do read the Daily Mail. I am proud to say the tabloids often break stories of, well, in this case, extramarital flings on the sets of major morning news and hey, also alien, potential hey, aliens. Yeah, I mean, I you know, it, it happens. <laughs> What's interesting about this is that they obviously, I mean, they were being tailed. So somebody wants trouble for them. So figuring out who that is will be interesting. And it didn't seem like. One of their spouses maybe might I was come to mind, say, yes. Perhaps a spouse, but like. Uh, who knows? I find I find these. I'm not ever emotionally invested in any of the people who are on television. Just like I can't I get emotionally know who invested these in politicians. People are. Yeah, I'm do you like, like them? I, I don't really know. I, I whoa, I, you know, yeah, that's quite a photo. There's a photo of him grabbing her. She's putting yeah. he's she's putting something in the trunk, and he is grabbing her trunk. Yes, he is. Yes. So wow. like they were being tailed outside of town. Tailed in indeed. Town. Yeah. Tailed indeed, <laughs> was, Christine. Thank you. Wah, thank wah, you. Wah, wah. <laughs> Okay, that's so, yeah. extra points on that. Naughty Good Morning America. Delaware man sentenced for joining U.S. Capitol riots while on Tinder date. Mwah. I just say, I say to you, The Guardian, you did it. W way to go. Could have been my favorite item. But last on our style section, Washington Post in its new home, or it's like called Dwell or something. Oh, it's called The Home You Own. The Home You Own. So or you rent at exorbitant price. So, so they're launching it. And here's their headline. She has 13 cats in a two-bedroom condo. Here's her litter box advice. Now, I'm going to tell you something, Washington Post. I ain't taking any advice from her. If she has 13 cats in a two-bedroom condo, I, I don't care. I don't care. I don't want her recipe for beef stroganoff. I don't want anything from her. And this is, and when you look at the picture, by the way. Oh, dear. Of the lady, you're like, yeah, no. Why are you, and Kate Benjamin, no offense to you, but. Why? Why would you? Why would anyone take your advice? Is all I'm saying. Yeah, it's it's especially concerning that this oh comes gosh. out. Don't I know? The, the, but they oh just killed gosh. their Sunday magazine so that we can enjoy more stories of ladies with their cats. Oh my gosh, she's not just a recreational cat lady either. She's a professional. In 2012, she launched <laughs> House Panther, a design <laughs> resource for cat owners. She's also co-author of bestsellers, Catification and Catify to Satisfy, both about creating cat-friendly but stylish homes. Washington Post, pull yourselves together, okay? <laughs> pull yourselves together. All right, quickly, after the jump, it's time for our Obsessions of the Week. Where we break down the stories we can't get out of our heads. I'm going to start, and I will keep it quick, folks. We're not going to keep you. We know, your, we know your time on the treadmill is already over. 
Apple hobbled a crucial tool of dissent in China weeks before widespread protests broke out. This is from Quartz. And I just want to say that when we talk about tech and social media and all this stuff, so much of it is, as we were talking about before with Twitter, a Rorschach test for our own political biases and all this stuff, underappreciated was the, the evil thing that Apple did, which was agreeing to take AirDrop off of iPhones sold in China or disabling it on the on the software update for phones in China so that protesters could no longer now that they didn't do it because of that they did it because the Chinese government told them to that's evil and Apple has not gotten has not gotten enough attention for a bad thing that they did uh, and kudos to the folks at Quartz for saying so what obsesseth you? Well, you finished your time on the treadmill. Go reward yourself and listen to this story of me scolding the media. There's because... a woman who knows how to keep a listener hooked. Gets him just right out of the jar with that peanut butter. It's fine. No path forward. Biden calls on Congress to avert rail strike. Now, this might seem obscure. Maybe you're not worried about the trains, but if our rail workers go on strike, major, major impacts, especially in the pre-holiday season for the economy. Now, in September, for those of you who don't remember, there were a lot of flattering pieces about how the Biden administration and Joe Biden, lunch pail Joe himself, averted a disaster. He went on 60 Minutes. He boasted about how I stopped a strike from happening. I am your guy. Look at what I'm doing. It was a big part of the pre-midterm narrative. Yes, it was yes. a big part of look at what I've done for you. Americans. And then as it turns out, yeah, they rejected that and they now want to strike. So well, three, it's it's very, <laughs> a very abstruse. Yes. And I do want to, there is, there is some good writing about it. I finally uh, came to understand it. Sean Higgins at the Competitive Enterprise Institute. Yeah, that he has a good breakdown of what's had actually Had a really happening. useful breakdown yeah. of like, this is how it works and this is who it is. It's three unions, one of which is Teamster Allied, mm -hmm. and they are, are refusing to sign off on this. And right. that could be enough to scuttle the whole deal. But they can't actually strike like the, the law will not allow them to have a kind of major strike. But it now has been thrown to Congress. All, all of the details, if you're interested in mass transit, not uh, uh, the other question I have, like, where's Pete Buttigieg and all of this? Yeah. I don't know where he is. But but Biden getting absolute uncritical praise by the press for what he did in September um, but not being called to account. Maybe, maybe there should have been a little more digging into the into the problems. Maybe they should have interviewed the, the the labor secretary a little more. Like figured out who's a union guy. Like they could have. There could have been deeper dives at the time. And there certainly should be accountability now for what went wrong. Yeah, and, and if and if it was, you can't have it both ways. Right. Biden can't have done this great thing if the great thing that he did. Blew is, up in his face. Is, well, is mean to workers. Right. Right. Because no, that's, that's the part that's yeah. the part where the complaints, the people, the most Republicans voted against the measure that basically strong arms the railroad industry in changing the contract. Right. But some Democrats did. And the Democrats who voted against it because it wasn't generous enough. And the 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 ability, the progressive left. The, the silence of the progressive left on round one, now that the midterms are over, mm -hmm. it's like, now we can complain. Now that the midterms are over, we can complain. But we shouldn't be surprised, but it is definitely a one of those things. Okay, another one of those things is our mailbag. Mailbag! We have a letter from Eric Mabbitt. I hope I pronounced that correctly, in Meridian, Mississippi, fi a fine place. Dear Wretches, a podcast treat for me to listen to at the end of each week. Thank you. Thank you for doing it. We thank you for listening. Nothing makes me happier than hearing Eliana go on a rant or Chris's hearty chuckle and WV folksiness. He also, by the way, here goes and talks about the correct pronunciation of Dalanega or no, Delong. Don't look at me. I'm from Florida. <laughs> Dahlonega. 
Delonica. Delonica. Okay, yes. Sorry to get it wrong again. I did not learn my lesson the first time, but he he lays it he lays it down on Delonica. But at any rate, I came across what seems to be a fairly tasteless article I just could not believe existed and wanted to bring to your attention. This is an LA magazine, and it is about Rebecca Grossman, he says, who is set to go on trial for drunkenly killing two young boys with her car. The piece isn't isn't a total puff piece, but it struck me as very weird to put out before the trial. What grabbed my attention and required me to write this email was the line under the title, The Hidden Hills Socialite Became a Pariah After Her Speeding Mercedes Struck and Killed Two School-Age Kids. Now she is fighting for her own life. And no, she's not really fighting for her own life. She's fighting to stay out of prison. The author seems to be removing agency from the drive from driving of the car if her car was doing the evil deed itself it just seems gross and weird and i was wondering how pieces like this get greenlit finally i hope you will share your thanksgiving food you enjoyed this year yay what are your feelings about the presence of ham at thanksgiving nah i'm an old-fashioned oven turkey roaster myself yeah Ooh, stuff the cavity with onions oranges and green apple chunks and a stick of butter i'm I'm 80% with you. I don't know about the oranges, but I could think about it. I also make a maple pumpkin cheesecake with an apple maple glaze. I'm here for that. What are your must-have foods for the holiday? Keep on retching. Okay, Eric, prior to a high-profile trial, rich people hire media consultants to get favorable pub put out there. And this, since you can tell, has an all-caps exclusive banner on it. They saved it up. Tastefully lit photo. Tastefully lit. Yeah. And, she, and she is looks total mom energy, right? Well, and she's looking down. She's, she's, she looks she's downcast. Humble. And she's, she's, yeah. she looks like she could be from Dahlonega, Georgia herself, mm-hmm. right? She's untucked, casual shirt, jeans, not mm-hmm. at all a socialite. Uh, and so they, her, I assume, uh, defense team, which in high-profile cases includes media, right. uh, defense team reached out to LA Magazine, which would be the right place for it because you want to influence the jury and public sentiment if you possibly can because jurors, by the way, lie all of the time in these trials. Or it's not that they know that they're lying. If they want to be implicit bias is not just a thing with reporters. If you if a juror wants to be on a trial, they're going to answer the their, their unconscious mind is going to lead them right. to the kind of answers that they know that they're going to want to hear. Unlike Liz Lemon and 30 Rock who got out of a trial one time by dressing as Princess Leia right. when she when she showed up for jury duty. I've been trying to get on juries for years, but because I'm of the, on them all the time. Well, Are you in the district? No, you got to move district. to DC. I'm in the yeah. district, but and I got on the list, but they every morning I call up and they're like, "Nah." Oh, nah. So, so I thought I was finally there because I've always wanted to serve on a jury. I covered the courts for a long time, but always because of my work, they're like, not you, not you, weirdo, not you, cable news D-lister. You won't be on. But anyway, that's- Prosecutors uh, th- love me. They always pick me in the criminal trials. They're like, she's oh, yeah, going to like, punish someone exactly. today. <laughs> the, that's, we that's, want you. That's big mom energy, yeah. and she's going yeah. to keep the streets safe. And Mr. Mabbitt, I would say, for my part, stuffing is the key, and it's really dressing because it's cooked outside the bird- Inside the bird, though this year I had, shout out to Jeff Willis, the greatest smoked turkey. Brother man laid it down right. It was, it looked varnished. It's hard to do. It came off perfectly. And it was so tender and so good. And it was so amazing. So the smoked turkey can be good, but I am a turkey spatchcocker. Oh, yeah. Spatchcocking is great. For chicken too. Yeah. Take out the spine, get everything cooked at the right temperature. I have a friend who, who 
takes off all of the dark meat and cooks that separately then the breast there's a lot of stuff that you can do but turkey is delicious what is your thanksgiving must what is your holiday season must have for Thanksgiving? Or anything. We're past Thanksgiving now. Oh. You can feel free to. Well, I always make like a traditional French beef stew for Christmas Eve. That's what we always eat oh, on Christmas really? Eve. Yeah, the kind that simmers all day, delicious. This Thanksgiving. The my... beef bourguignon. Yeah, similar to, but with, yeah, yeah. yeah, lots of good stuff. This Thanksgiving, actually, I went, we had, fam- we went with family friends and they took a vote and they didn't make turkey this year. What'd they do? Amazing short ribs. I know this sounds, it's, it's heresy. I'm like un-American wow. for saying so, but they wow. were amazing short ribs because we always do turkey. I've done the Chez Panisse brine for turkey. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the big bag, that's yep. great. That that turns out great. I have made turkey every year. So you had- the first year I didn't have turkey. So you had Thanksgiving with communists? Was, you had Thanksgiving uh, yeah, with they're, they're, they're some sort of a- So delicious. Short delicious. ribs for Thanksgiving? We did make all the other traditional stuff. Potatoes, stuffing, everything else, but it was short ribs. Well, I am excited because Christmas Day is the day that I will make- the standing rib, mm. uh, the roast beast for Christmas with Leonese potatoes, Yum. and it will be it will be good. So, thank you, Mr. Mabbit. We appreciate you. Favorite items of the week. Now is when we say a nice thing. And no offense, Eliana, I hope you listen. It's, it was much easier lifting this week to get Christine to say something nice. But these are good things, and as Eliana likes to say, I lead by example. So I'm always as today's episode would reveal, harshing on the Washington Post. One of the things that the Washington Post is terrible about is it hates being the local newspaper for a medium-sized American city. But kudos upon kudos to Luz Lazo, L-A-Z-O, who wrote a great piece about Union Station, Washington's beautiful, neoclassical, barrel-roofed train station, that currently feels like it is a John Carpenter film. It really does. Uh, the stores are Very all sad. closed. As your wa- as a, and I use the services of the of Amtrak on the regular, and walking through the semi-deserted but hobo-flecked uh, a marble of Union Station is creepy and gross. And I don't like if I not to be gendered, but <laughs> for ladies having to for Jessica for any lady walking through a Union Station after 8 p.m. getting off a train, I'm like, I don't know. It's not a pleasant feeling. Have it, yeah. That's... I don't know about that. So Luz Lazo, Lazo writes about how they're going to get a Washington's largest transit hub is lined for a $10 billion renovation over two decades. I don't know how you spend $10 billion, but what do I know? I didn't, I didn't think Axios was worth a half a billion dollars. So what do I know about anything? Washington's largest transit hub is in line for a $10 billion renovation over two decades, but many worry Union Station's best days have passed. Station officials say they're working on short-term improvements and a long-term strategy to create a vibrant transportation destination. Now, I can say that the recent renovations at Reagan National Airport are magnificent. Yeah, they're great. They're fantastic. It's faster. It's Mm -hmm. more efficient. It's great. The problem at Union Station is malls are dead. Yeah. Right? Urban malls are dead everywhere. And... I don't know what you do with all of that retail space that they have there to make it a destination. I don't know. But kudos to you, Luz, and The Post for being a good local paper and taking a critical eye on infrastructure spending and grossness. Harumph. No, that's not a harumph. That's a praise. I don't know what the the praising harumph is, but it's a praising harumph for you. Okay. 
What is your favorite item of the week? So I, I liked a story, and I, I tend to be critical of the New York Times. I actually liked a, a story in the New York Times called San Francisco Considers Allowing Use of Deadly Robots by Police. Just that the fact that I love that headline tells you a lot about me. But it's by a guy, Michael Levinson. He's been at the paper for a few years. I've, I've been following his work. He was at the Boston Globe before the Times, and he was a local reporter, okay. which I think is why the pieces he writes, which are, you know, uh, datelined all over the place, tend to have a real, he captures that local feel. He's a really good reporter. So he write, he's writing about the San Francisco police could use robots to deploy lethal force under a policy advanced by city supervisors on Tuesday that thrust the city into the forefront of a national debate about the use of weaponized robots in American cities. Now, this story, if you only came across it on social media, was hilarious. A friend sent me, you know, someone had tweeted like, oh my God, they're going to use robot dogs to shoot people. It's terrible. And then, of course, the, the San Francisco police trying to calm nerves. It was like, no, we're only going to explode things with it. Yeah, we're not like, shooting we'll it. We'll bomb you, but we will not shoot you. It's fine. But this actually, the reason the story is good is that he talked, you know, he talked to law enforcement. He talked to the people who want to use this. He, he he let them go on the record about why, about why, you know, he talks to the mayor, London Breed. He, he goes, he, he, you know, checks all the boxes. But he also talks to people who are concerned about the ethical issues involved, not just in domestic use of, you know, weaponized robots in and local this is, police and, forces. And this is something, by the way, that the military... Exactly. Used, yes, right. because the idea is like if autonomous weapons are are a, are a challenge just globally. So, but he's taking a very local look at the ethical, moral, legal issues in in San Francisco, which, as we know, has a sort of crime issue going on right now, as many big cities do. And there are very complicated issues that he captures well in this piece because use of these robots could actually save lives. It could save law enforcement lives. It could save bystander lives if they're able to get into a situation that's too dangerous for humans to go. But then there's also ethical and moral, moral responsibility with, with the use of force. And he captures all that in a pretty, you know, a sort of overview of something that's very complicated. And I just, for me, I'm, I'm very critical sometimes of, of the New York Times. This is good reporting on a fascinating question that we will we can and should be following in years to come, both in the domestic space and foreign policy space. And he did a great job. And done, and done by the way, without the kind of hyperventilating that, exactly. you, that you referred to. Exactly. And I also just did a search and am able to say on his behalf or in praise of Mr. Levinson, completed the article without once using the phrase RoboCop. There we go. I mean, and that must have taken I, some discipline. I would, I would, I, I will tell you, I would, I would not have been anywhere near as disciplined in that because I loved RoboCop and imagined that that's what the future was going to look like. But uh, that's a good piece. Thank you so much for making time to do this today. Oh, it was a pleasure. real pleasure. It was a real pleasure to have you here. Uh, okay, that is the news about the news people. That's all we got. But if you have a story that you want us to talk about, you know what you ought to do? You ought to email us at wretches at nebulouspodcasts.com. That's wretches at nebulouspodcasts.com. Recipe inquiries always welcome. This has been Inkstained Wretches from Nebulous Media. Find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for wretches. Wretches.